Section twenty one of Lucretia Borgia by Ferdinand Gregorovius. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Emily Maynard. Book one, chapter twenty one The Eve of the Wedding. Lucretia was impatient to leave Rome, which, she remarked to the ambassador of Ferrara, seemed to her like a prison. The duke himself was no less anxious to conclude the transaction the preparation of the new bull of investiture however was delayed and the session of cento and pieve could not be effected without the consent of cardinal giuliano della rovere archbishop of bologna who was then living in france ercole therefore postponed despatching the bridal escort although the approach of winter would make the journey which was severe at any time all the more difficult whenever lucretia saw the ferrarese ambassadors she asked them how soon the escort would come to fetch her she herself endeavoured to remove all obstacles although the cardinals trembled before the pope and caesar they were reluctant to sign a bull which would lose ferrara's tribute to the church they were bitterly opposed to allowing the descendants of alfonso and lucretia without limitation to profit by a remission of the annual payment they would suffer this privilege to be enjoyed for three generations at most. The Duke addressed urgent letters to the Cardinal and to Lucretia, who, finally, in October, succeeded in arranging matters, thereby winning high praise from her father-in-law. During the first half of October, she and the Duke kept up a lively correspondence, which shows that their mutual confidence was increasing it was plain that ercole was beginning to look upon the unequal match with less displeasure as he discovered that his daughter-in-law possessed greater sense than he had supposed her letters to him were filled with flattery especially one she wrote when she heard he was sick and ercole thanked her for having written it with her own hand which he regarded as special proof of her affection the ambassadors reported to him as follows when we informed the illustrious duchess of your excellency's illness her majesty displayed the greatest concern she turned pale and stood for a moment bowed in thought she regretted that she was not in ferrara to take care of you herself when the walls of the vatican salon tumbled in she nursed his holiness for two weeks without resting as the pope would allow no one else to do anything for him well might the illness of lucretia's father-in-law frighten her his death would have delayed, if not absolutely prevented, her marriage with Alfonso, for up to the present time she had no proof that her prospective husband's opposition had been overcome. There are no letters written by either to the other at this time, a silence which is, to say the least, singular. Still more disturbing to Lucretia must have been the thought that her father himself might die, for his death would certainly set aside her betrothal to Alfonso. Shortly after Ercole's illness, Alexander fell sick. He had caught cold and lost a tooth. To prevent exaggerated reports reaching Ferrara, he had the Duke's envoy summoned, and directed him to write his master that his indisposition was insignificant. "'If the Duke were here,' said the Pope, "'I would, even if my face is tied up, invite him to go and hunt wild boars.' the ambassador remarked in his despatch that the pope if he valued his health had better change his habits and not leave the palace before daybreak and had better return before nightfall ercole and the pope received congratulations from all sides cardinals and ambassadors in their letters proclaimed lucretia's beauty and graciousness 
the Spanish envoy in Rome praised her in extravagant terms, and Ercole thanked him for his testimony regarding the virtues of his daughter-in-law. Even the King of France displayed the liveliest pleasure at the event, which, he now discovered, would redound greatly to Ferrara's advantage. The Pope, beaming with joy, read the congratulations of the monarch and his consort to the consistory. Louis XII even condescended to address a letter to Madonna Lucretia, at the end of which were two words in his own hand. Alexander was so delighted thereby that he sent a copy of it to Ferrara. The court of Maximilian was the only one from which no congratulations were received. The emperor exhibited such displeasure that Ercole was worried, as the following letter to his plenipotentiaries in Rome shows. The Duke of Ferrara, etc. Our well-loved, we have given His Holiness, our Lord, no further information regarding the attitude of the illustrious Emperor of the Romans towards him since Messer Michele Remolines departed from here, for we had nothing definite to communicate. We have, however, been told by a trustworthy person, with whom the King conversed, that His Majesty was greatly displeased, and that he criticized His Holiness in unmeasured terms on account of the alliance which we have concluded with him as he also did in letters addressed to us before the betrothal in which he advised us not to enter into it as you will learn from the copies of his letters which we send you with this they were shown and read to his holiness's ambassador here although so far as we ourselves are concerned we did not attach much importance to his majesty's attitude as we followed the dictates of reason and are daily becoming more convinced that it will prove advantageous for us it nevertheless appears proper in view of our relations with his holiness that he should be informed of our position you will therefore tell him everything and also let him see the copies if you think best but you must say to him in our name that he is not to ascribe their authorship to us and that we have not sent you these copies because of any special importance that we attach to them ferrara october third fifteen o one the duke now allowed nothing to shake his resolution Early in October, he selected the escort whose departure from Ferrara, he frankly stated, would depend upon the progress of his negotiations with the Pope. The constitution of the bridal trains, both Roman and Ferrarese, was an important question, and is referred to in one of Gerardo's despatches. Illustrious Sir, etc. Today, at six o'clock, Hector and I were alone with the Pope, having your letters of the twenty-sixth ultimo and of the first of the present month, and also a list of those who are to compose the escort. His Holiness was greatly pleased, the various persons being people of wealth and standing, as he could readily see, the rank and possession of each being clearly indicated. I have learned from the best of sources that Your Excellency has exceeded all the Pope's expectations. After we had conversed a while with His Holiness, the illustrious Duke of Romagna and Cardinal Orsini were summoned. There were also present Monsignor Elna, Monsignor Trush, and Monsieur Adriano. The Pope had the list read a second time, and again it was praised, especially by the Duke, who said he was acquainted with several of the persons named. He kept the list, thanking me warmly when I gave it to him, for he had returned it to me. We endeavored to get the list of those who are to come with the illustrious Duchess, but it has not yet been prepared. 
His Holiness said there would not be many women among the number, as the ladies of Rome were not skillful horsewomen. Hitherto the Duchess has had five or six young ladies at her court, four very young girls and three married women, who will remain with Her Majesty. She has, however, been advised not to bring them, as many of the great ladies in Ferrara will offer her their services. She has also a certain Madonna Girolama, Cardinal Borgia's sister, who is married to one of the Orsini. She and three of her women will accompany her. These are the only ladies of honor she has hitherto had. I have heard that she will endeavor to find others in Naples, but it is believed that she will be able to secure only a few, and that these will merely accompany her. The Duchess of Urbino has announced that she expects to come with a mounted escort of fifty persons. So far as the men are concerned, His Holiness said that there would not be many, as there were no Roman noblemen except the Orsini, and they generally were away from the city. Still, he hoped to be able to find sufficient, provided the Duke of Romagna did not take the field, there being a large number of nobles among his followers. His Holiness said that he had plenty of priests and scholars to send, but not such persons as were fit for a mission of this sort. However, the retinue furnished by Your Majesty will serve for both, especially as, according to His Holiness, it is better for the more numerous escort to be sent by the groom, and for the bride to come accompanied by a smaller number. Still, I do not think her suite will number less than two hundred persons. The Pope is in doubt what route Her Majesty will travel. He thinks she ought to go by way of Bologna, and he says that the Florentines likewise have invited her. Although His Holiness has reached no decision, the Duchess has informed us that she would journey through the marches, and the Pope has just concluded that she might do so. Perhaps he desires her to pass through the estates of the Duke of Romagna on her way to Bologna. Regarding Your Majesty's wish that a cardinal accompany the Duchess, His Holiness said that it did not seem proper to him for a cardinal to leave Rome with her, but that he had written the Cardinal of Salerno, the legate in the marches, to go to the seat of the Duke in Romagna and wait there, and accompany the Duchess to Ferrara to read Mass at the wedding. He thought that the cardinal would do this, unless prevented by sickness, in which case His Holiness would provide another. When the Pope discovered, during this conversation, that we had so far been unable to secure an audience with the illustrious Duke, he showed great annoyance, declaring it was a mistake which could only injure His Majesty, and he added that the ambassadors of Rimini had been here two months without succeeding in speaking with him, as he was in the habit of turning day into night and night into day. He severely criticized his son's mode of living. On the other hand, he commended the illustrious Duchess, saying that she was always gracious and granted audiences readily, and that whenever there was need she knew how to cajole. He lauded her highly, and stated that she had ruled Spoleto to the satisfaction of everybody, and he also said that Her Majesty always knew how to carry her point, even with himself, the Pope. I think that His Holiness spoke in this way more for the purpose of saying good of her, which according to my opinion she deserved, than to avoid saying anything ill, even if there were occasion for it. Your Majesty's Ever Devoted Rome, October 6th The Pope seldom allowed an opportunity to pass for praising his daughter's beauty and graciousness. He frequently compared her with the most famous women of Italy, the Marchioness of Mantua and the Duchess of Urbino. 
One day, while conversing with the ambassadors of Ferrara, he mentioned her age, saying that in October 1502 she would complete her twenty-second year, while Caesar would be twenty-six the same month. The Pope was greatly pleased with the members of the bridal escort, for they all were either princes of the House of Este or prominent persons of Ferrara. He also approved the selection of Annibale Bentivoglio, son of the Lord of Bologna, and said laughingly to the Ferrarese ambassadors that, even if their master had chosen Turks to come to Rome for the bride, they would have been welcome. The Florentines, owing to their fear of Caesar, sent ambassadors to Lucretia to ask her to come by way of their city when she went to Ferrara. The Pope, however, was determined that she should make the journey through Romagna. According to an oppressive custom of the day, the people through whose country persons of quality travelled were required to provide for them, and in order not to tax Romagna too heavily, it was decided that the Ferrarese escort should come to Rome by way of Tuscany. The Republic of Florence firmly refused to entertain the escort all the time it was in its territory, although it was willing to care for it while in the city or to make a handsome present. In the meantime, preparations were underway in Ferrara for the wedding festivities. The Duke invited all the princes who were friendly to him to be present. He had even thought of the oration which was to be delivered in Ferrara when Lucretia was given to her husband. During the Renaissance, these orations were regarded as of the greatest importance, and he was anxious to secure a speaker who could be depended upon to deliver a masterpiece. Ercole had instructed his ambassadors in Rome to send him particulars regarding the House of Borgia for the orator to use in preparing his speech. The ambassadors scrupulously carried out their instructions and wrote their sovereign as follows. Illustrious Prince and Master, we have spared no efforts to learn everything possible regarding the illustrious House of Borgia, as Your Excellency commanded. We made a thorough investigation, and members of our suite here in Rome, not only the scholars, but also those we knew were loyal to you, did the same. Although we finally succeeded in ascertaining that the house is one of the noblest and most ancient in Spain, we did not discover that its founders ever did anything very remarkable, perhaps because life in that country is quiet and uneventful. Your Excellency knows that such is the case in Spain, especially in Valencia. Whatever there is worthy of note dates from the time of Calixtus, and in fact the deeds of Calixtus himself are those most worthy of comment. Platina, however, has given an account of his life, which moreover is well known to everybody. Whoever is to deliver the oration has ample material, therefore, from which to choose. We, illustrious sir, have been able to learn nothing more regarding this house than what you already know, and this concerns only the members of the family who have been popes, and is derived chiefly from the audience speeches. In case we succeed in finding out anything more, we shall inform your excellency, to whom we commend ourselves in all humility. Rome, October eighteenth, fifteen 1501. When the descendant of the ancient house of Este read this terse despatch, he must have smiled. Its candor was so undiplomatic that it bordered on irony. The doughty ambassadors, however, apparently did not go to the right sources, for if they had applied to the courtiers who were intimate with the Borgia, for example the Porcaro, they would have obtained a genealogical tree showing a descent from the old kings of Aragon, if not from Hercules himself. 
In the meantime, the impatience of the Pope and Lucretia was steadily increasing, for the departure of the bridal escort was delayed, and the enemies of the Borgia were already beginning to make merry. The Duke declared that he could not think of sending for Donna Lucretia until the bull of investiture was in his hands. He complained at the Pope's delay in fulfilling his promises. He also demanded that the part of the marriage portion, which was to be paid in coin through banking houses in Venice, Bologna, and other cities, be handed over on the bridal escort's entry into Rome, and threatened in case it was not paid in full to have his people return to Ferrara without the bride. As it was impossible for him to bring about the immediate session of Cento and Pieve, he asked from the Pope, as a pledge that either the bishopric of Bologna be given to his son Ippolito, or that His Holiness furnish a bond. He also demanded certain benefices for his natural son, Don Giulio, and for his ambassador, Gianluca Pozzi. Lucretia succeeded in securing the bishopric of Reggio for the latter, and also a house in Rome for the Ferrarese envoy. Another important question was the dowry of jewels which Lucretia was to receive. During the Renaissance, the passion for jewels amounted to a mania. Ercole sent word to his daughter-in-law that she must not dispose of her jewels, but must bring them with her. He also said that he would send her a handsome ornament by the bridal escort, gallantly adding that as she herself was a precious jewel, she deserved the most beautiful gems, even more magnificent ones than he and his own consort had possessed. It is true that he was not so wealthy as the Duke of Savoy, but nevertheless he was in a position to send her jewels no less beautiful than those given her by the Duke. The relations between Ercole and his daughter-in-law were as friendly as could be desired, for Lucretia exerted herself to secure the Pope's consent to his demands. His Holiness, however, was greatly annoyed by the Duke's conduct. He sent urgent requests to him to dispatch the escort to Rome, and assured him that the two castles in Romagna would be delivered over to him before Lucretia reached Ferrara, but in case she did arrive there first, that everything she asked would be granted. His love for her was such that he even thought of paying her a visit in Ferrara in the spring. The Pope suspected, however, that the delay in sending the bridal escort was due to the machinations of Maximilian. Even as late as November, the Emperor had despatched his secretary, Agostino Semenza, to the Duke to warn him not to send the escort to Rome, adding that he would show his gratitude to Ercole. November 22nd, the Duke wrote the Imperial Plenipotentiary a letter in which he stated that he had immediately sent a courier to his ambassador in Rome. It would soon be winter, and the time would therefore be unfavorable for bringing Lucretia. If the Pope was willing, he would postpone the wedding, but he would not break off with him entirely. His Majesty should remember that if he did this, the Pope would become his bitterest enemy, and would persecute him, and might even make war on him. It was, he stated, for the express purpose of avoiding this, that he had consented to enter into an alliance with His Holiness. He therefore hoped that His Majesty would not expose him to this danger, but that, with his usual justice, he would appreciate his excuses. At the same time, he instructed his ambassadors in Rome to inform the Pope of the Emperor's threats, and to say to him that he was ready to fulfill his own obligations, and also to urge His Holiness to have the bulls prepared at once, as further delay was dangerous. 
Alexander thereupon fell into a rage. He overwhelmed the ambassadors with reproaches and called the duke a, quote, tradesman. On December 1st, Ercole announced to the emperor's messenger that he was unable longer to delay sending the bridal escort, for if he did, it would mean a rupture with the pope. The same day, he wrote to his ambassadors in Rome and complained of the use of the epithet tradesman, which the pope had applied to him. He, however, reassured his holiness by informing him that he had decided to despatch the bridal escort from Ferrara the ninth or 10th of December. End of chapter 21